Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me is Lori Vogel. Lori is the founder of the innovation consultancy Imagine Now and a Nike expat of over 20 years, formerly the VP of Material Science and Innovation at Nike. So Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. I am excited to have you on the show. I think we met a couple of years ago at one of the innovation conferences and you just left Nike and we're talking a lot about some of the processes and things along those lines. And now we finally get to reconnect because you're coming out to Nebraska for the Inside Outside Innovation Summit here in a couple of weeks in October. So I wanted to have you on the show to talk a little bit about some of your experiences and to give folks in the audience a preview of what they should hear. Tell us a little bit about your experience and how you got involved in innovation in the first place. I started out at Nike probably over 20 years ago. But my background is in industrial design. So I started out like heading up design. And then from that, I moved into heading up innovation. And then Nike got heavily into sustainability. So then I was focusing on sustainable design and sustainable innovation. And then my last role at Nike, I was the VP of material science and innovation. So I'd say the bulk of my career has all been around design and innovation and trying to do it in a more sustainable way. The key for me is that the majority of my work is focused around looking at emerging science and technology and figuring out how to apply that and making sure we have the right systems in place. And so since I've left Nike, I've been doing that type of work with my consultancy. I go into companies and I help them look at how is their innovation teams, how are they working, how are their systems, that type of thing. I love it. And in a couple of years when I saw you talking I was fascinated by your approach to innovation and Nike's approach to innovation and how it was very systematic. A lot of times you hear about innovation labs and a lot of it's spaghetti at the wall and see what happens and that, but you seem to have much more of a portfolio approach and much more systematic. How many bets do we have to place to make things work and that? So maybe you can talk a little bit about some of your experiences building out an innovation process. I think it's really interesting because every team is really different. And you're right. A lot of groups have things where they just throw shots at the wall. But even when they throw shots at the wall, they have some kind of process, right? I would say with Nike, like one of the key processes, they do a lot of early prototyping. So they try and make things early so you can see them. But one of the things that we made a point, especially my team that was looking so far out at new technologies, is we wanted to make sure that as we were going to spend a lot of energy to bring these new innovations into the portfolio, that we needed to know that there was a return on that investment. And so Mm -hmm. we became a bit more systematic about understanding and looking at that actual technology. If it was extremely successful, how would that impact our overall business? And That was key for us, and that's the filters that we use, which is making sure that if you're going to spend that much time and energy around something, that at the end, you're going to be excited about the value it's going to add to your company. That's so important. It comes back to that resource allocation. You can't do everything for everybody and hope every bet's going to make sense. And so how do you go about the metrics and the analyzation of trying to understand both how many 
bets to put against the wall, as well as which ones are going to pay off and maybe the probability around that. Are there any kind of case studies or examples that you've seen either at Nike or other places you've worked with that seem to be good ways for people to start thinking about this process? I think the number one thing is that if currently you're working in innovation and you don't have some type of filter system to understand if these projects are things like even from your team in general, so that if there hasn't been a whole group looking at what are the correct filters, for example, so if I'm going to evaluate a new innovation, what am I looking at most importantly? Am I looking at the fact that this new innovation is going to drive revenue? Is it going to decrease cost? Is it going to reduce our environmental footprint? Does it give us strategic IP? Are we more interested in looking at new, better performance? Is it brand value? It's all of those things. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to have the right players in the room because sometimes you can have an innovation team, but you need to make sure it's almost like creating your own board of directors that somebody from brand, somebody who's looking at it more from, let's say, the performance side of things, somebody is looking at it more from the cost savings, those types of things. So that overall, you're able to put together a list of filters when you look at these technologies. And what we would do is just, put them up against the wall and rate them. And so we'd have a number value for all these different components. And it doesn't mean you get into the minutia, but it allows you to kind of create a line that says the things that are below this line really don't add that much value, right? right? And you can really very quickly go through it and be able to see that if these work, we always want to make sure we have game changers in there. And so you're always looking for the game changer. And I think the other key component is sometimes people feel like, okay, if I filter all this and these score the highest and these are the innovations that we really want to drive, a lot of times when you're looking at that, you don't realize that it's not just one portfolio, it's broken up into several portfolios. And a good example of that is, say, you've got a brand new technology that is going to help an athlete perform and break a record that nobody else has broken. Well, maybe this technology is only for the elite level athletes. That means from revenue perspective, you're not going to sell that many. So if you use your normal metrics on this or filters, you may not do this project. But then your brand team, or at least in my case, the brand team is going to be super unhappy because that could have been a huge PR moment for them. The thing is, is that for me, I then need to make sure that my portfolio is broken up, that I have brand value so that I have a few key concepts or technologies that are going to come out that the brand is really going to get behind and that they are really going to celebrate. So it can't all be about revenue, but that comes back to this idea of a balanced portfolio. Probably the bulk of your innovations, you want to be in revenue because you want to be a growth company. So you want to make sure you have really strong innovations in that space. But the same thing is true. Like, let's say your company is committed to reducing their environmental footprint. Then you need to make sure that you have a portfolio that there may be a few items in there that may not fit within the normal filters, but you know that you need to have a few key components in that portfolio that are going to reduce your environmental footprint, whether it's greenhouse gases or something that's going to be significant, that's going to help you hit your goals. So I think it's about like you can do a quick shot of your overall portfolio, but then you need to break it apart and find those elements so that every part of your company is getting something from your innovation strategy. Hey, listeners, I wanted to pause this episode for a word from our new sponsor, Hush Blackwell. 
Hush Blackwell is a proud sponsor of the upcoming I.O. Summit on October 20th through 22nd. As a law firm, Hush Blackwell takes an industry-centric approach to better serve their clients, and their attorneys are passionate about guiding entrepreneurs as they work to bring their product or service to market. They are aware of the unique challenges entrepreneurs face and have subject matter experts to offer legal support in diverse industries that can assist in each step of a new company's life cycle, from protecting their ideas to realizing business objectives. Be sure to find Hush Blackwell during the upcoming summit to see how they've worked to help startups grow and scale. Hush Blackwell, smart legal solutions that move our clients forward. Visit them at hushblackwell.com. And mapping it against specific outcomes versus the outputs, you know, just, hey, we need to have something in this particular area, but this is what's going to drive it. And here's what's going to be a win in that particular category and understanding what that means across an organization. Obviously at Nike, it's probably a little bit different than other corporations. Nike's obviously a massive brand and big resources and things like that. In your consultancy or other places that aren't Nike that you've run across, how do you see this working or being different or similar to what you were able to put in place at Nike? It's interesting because whether you're working with a small brand or a large brand, I really believe like innovation is used at the core. It's funny, I've either been working with large companies or <laughs> startup companies. I don't know where the middle ground is, but like I was working with Google on some of their things and they're similar to Nike in some of their ways, but they've got an interesting problem because Google can do almost anything, right? right. And that's an interesting thing because your filters are wide open. There's a lot of opportunity, like why you would do something over something else. And then you have this small startup, but in some ways they have to really move very quickly. So they're very conscious, uh, probably more so even the larger companies of making sure that the value is there in the new innovations. So Mm -hmm. I would say whether you're large or small and there are similar things, like maybe your brand value, maybe that is something that's not as important in some cases because you're just building your brand. But I think when you are looking at the portfolio in general, you're still probably in the startup phase, you're definitely looking at increasing your revenues. Your cost savings may not be as important at that time. You want to show people what is the growth opportunities for this company. And so I think in most cases, it's being really thoughtful around what is it and what stage you are in your company. And so I think in some ways they're similar, but it's more about you don't want this to be in a vacuum. And that is where I've found in some companies where there's an innovation group in the corner that's creating their own filters for what they think is important. And a lot of times in the innovation teams, you have people who are more design engineer type. So sometimes you'll find your portfolio focus more around, can I make this happen? Is this possible? And then when you do that, you find out, okay, let's just say you do make that possible. It may not be something that anybody really cares about. So did you have the marketing person? Are they as excited? You know, I can always tell when people show me innovations and based upon who shows me the innovation, I can tell you what that innovation is probably missing. So for (laughs) example, if somebody comes in and they're super excited about, we can do this technology and nobody else in the market can do it. Then my first question is, well, there's no brand guys in the room. There's no marketing guys in the room. Does anybody care about this? Or are we just proving other scientists that this is possible, right? There's the other side of it where the brand guys get super excited. They're going to create something that's never begun. It's going to break all records. People are going to showcase it at the Olympics. And then 
I'm like, well, are the science guys there? Are the force research lab, do they agree that this is even feasible? Is this even something that it sounds plausible, but right. is this like a year project, that kind of thing. So yeah, does it fit the timeline? Yeah, exactly. You may be able to feasibly be able to get there, but I'll take you 10 years and will the market change in between or whatever. Yeah. So I think it's always interesting who's not in the room when you're having these conversations, because it helps you understand that you may not have all the filters in place. And then I think the other key thing that I found is even by having this system so that because every team has a budget every year. So it's a way to look at this and to say, okay, all of these top 10 things are above the line. We think these are game changers or they're worth doing. So then there's money attached to all of these different things. So every year you're re-looking at this and you're re-evaluating it because when you first looked at an innovation, it looks really, really good. And then the farther you go down the line, you realize, well, they said they could hit this cost, but they're not really hitting this cost. Or they said that, you know, this technology could do this, but it's not really performing the way they said. So part of it is having a system in place so that you're reevaluating it the more you learn. So that now all of a sudden that technology that was one of your top 12 really falls below the line because the more information you're learning, the more that it's not as valuable. And so I think having a dynamic portfolio and making it something that it's constantly moving so that you're spending money on things that really matter and moving quickly. And I think a lot of companies don't have the systems in place. So you'll find this project that somebody's been working on for like seven years and you hate this, especially coming in as a consultant and you see this and you're like, why is anybody doing this project? Like, I can't see the value. I don't understand it. And it's just hidden. I think that's the other thing by having this all very transparent A lot of times people want to hide projects, and I understand some of the early things you might want to hide for a bit while you're kind of incubating them, but the more that this is open and transparent, the more that you're able to move quickly, and it doesn't mean you have to kill a project, but it does mean that you may want to put that into monitor status, so you're just going to monitor the market. The market's not ready yet, Mm -hmm. so you don't want to have people spending time on something that the market's not ready for or the technology is not ready makes perfect sense. And you're kind of alluding to this, but innovation in itself seems to be a team sport and it requires a lot of different folks to put their different lenses on it and and different skill sets around it. What are some of the things that you've seen make a good innovation team or a good innovator within a team? Are there particular characteristics or traits or things that you look for when you're building out that team? That's a great question. I think the number one thing when I interview people who want to go into innovation is that they have to be okay with ambiguity. If you have people who go into innovation and they want all the answers and they're not okay and they don't feel comfortable when you don't have all the answers, that usually doesn't align very well to your innovation team. I think the other thing is, is that every group that performs extremely well is really a group that people are reaching out to others because I always believe in the power of and. So it's not about having one specialty looking at something. It's really the value is when you have different areas, different specialties looking at the same innovation where you really bring something new to the table. That's really important. Like I'm always looking, even when I interview or I'm looking for new people for an organization, I always just call it the power of and. So all of a sudden somebody's an industrial designer, but they also have done work. They either got their degree in biology and industrial design, so that they've got two different ways that they're looking at things. And even if they just have 
one specialty, that they're very open to collaborate and to work with other people because I really believe that is where you see some amazing things. And I think the other thing is that because my background is more in design, I made everybody on my team create a board around their project. And the reason for that is that they needed to be able to put up, whether it's on a phone core board and say, why does this project matter? And make it clearly so other people can understand it. What does success look like? So they can tell you that. Where are they in the process? Like have prototypes or have things up on the board. And the whole reason for that is that other people now can see that and collaborate on it. One of the things, being an industrial designer where I can visualize things, everybody's like, oh, industrial design is so awesome. They come up with such great things. I really believe the reason why industrial designers tend to really drive new product innovations is because they can sketch and they can put something on the table. And the moment you put something on the table, people can collaborate. And it's really the value of that collaboration when somebody else says to you, hey, have you thought about that? That really brings it to the next level. When I was working in material science, you can imagine that you've got a lot of people, chemistry majors, that may not feel very comfortable about visualizing their programs. We would have people come in and help them visualize it so that other people could see it. And they're like, oh, that's what you're doing. Oh, well, I never thought about this. And that makes a huge difference. I love that tactic. And it seems to play out in startups, too. You you have that visionary founder who for some reason, is able to communicate what that vision is and get people to buy in and help build it out and yet not be afraid to deviate from the vision if circumstances or market or whatever tell you that you're on the wrong path. So amazing stuff. Lori, I can't wait for you to come out. Excited to learn a lot more at the summit. If people want to find out more about Imagine Now or yourself, what's the best way to do that? You can go to imaginenowinc.com and check it out. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn under... L-O-R-R-I-E Vogel. But yeah, no, I'm super excited about the conference and sounds like it's going to be awesome. So I can't wait to be there. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the Inside Outside Innovation Podcast. Looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks and let's stay in touch. Thanks so much. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.